This podcast details true crime cases. It contains adult themes and may contain descriptions of violence. It is not intended for children. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you for joining me for today's episode of Once Upon a Crime. This week, I'm bringing you another true crime case that centers around people associated with the modeling industry. This time, I'll share a story of a rising star who'd broken into the world of high-end modeling against all odds. But another model, envious of his success, began a rivalry, which led to a violent showdown that no one saw coming. This is the last chapter in the series, Picture Perfect Murder, the case of Harry Yuzoka. In any industry, there is a simple truth. In terms of human resources, scarcity creates opportunity. For instance, if a particular business struggles to recruit women as employees, maybe due to the nature of the profession or the location of the job, a woman who recognizes that can capitalize and perhaps get a more lucrative offer from a company that's desperate to hire women. In the world of high-end fashion, the demand is flipped on its head. Male fashion models with a certain look, who fit a certain demographic, could be highly sought after and incredibly well compensated. A male model, particularly a young black man, physically fit, with a Pharrell Williams kind of style and a face made for GQ, could make a small fortune in the European fashion scene. It was a fortunate turn of events that introduced Harry Yuzoka to just such an opportunity in the world of fashion modeling and changed his life forever. Tragically, in the case of Harry Yuzoka, forever came too soon. The London Evening Standard reported on January 16, 2018, two men were appearing in court today, charged with the murder of model Harry Yuzoka, who was stabbed to death in the street in Shepherd's Bush. Mr. Yuzoka, 25, who had starred in campaigns for brands including Zara and Mercedes, was found collapsed on the pavement last Thursday. For anyone who was unfamiliar with Harry Yuzoka, the Evening Standard made it clear, Harry was somebody. Quote, Mr. Yuzoka was on the books of Premier Model Management, which launched the careers of Naomi Campbell and Claudia Schiffer. It's hard to comprehend how a life so fabulous, a globe-trotting existence in front of the camera and on the runway, could turn so bitter and competitive, marked by jealousy and rivalry. Who was Harry Yuzoka, and why did his life end so tragically? Harry grew up in Dagenham, London, a large Nigerian community at the edge of Essex. As described by the BBC, take a walk down Dagenham's Heathway, one of the main roads, and you'll see a black church, a Nigerian restaurant, and some African and Caribbean hair shops. With his older brother Ed, Harry was a first-generation Briton, his mother Josephine having emigrated to London from Nigeria before he was born. Harry was an athletic young man with a passion for football, what we in the States call soccer. He frequently outperformed his classmates on the pitch at All Saints Catholic School, and sometimes in the classroom too, 
or he was an absolute whiz at math. To be clear, though, as is sometimes the case with young men growing up with a hard-working single parent, Harry had something of a troubled adolescence. He fell in with the wrong crowd, got his priorities all out of whack, and by 2008 found himself on the wrong side of the law. Harry got caught taking part in the robbery of a cash delivery van and was sentenced as a juvenile to four years in an institution for young offenders. It was a rude awakening for a young man, barely 16. According to those who knew Harry, though, he spent his time in prison truly contemplating his life and the direction it had gone. He recognized the error of his ways through endless days of study, reflection, and a search for spiritual meaning. Harry's family said his attitude had become, when I get out of here, I'm going to do something positive. The previously skinny young man exercised diligently in jail and built an athletic physique, read voraciously, and waited for the day when he would again be free. After almost two years in jail, that day finally came, and Harry entered back into the real world, a free man just shy of his 18th birthday. While in jail, all Harry could think about was enrolling in college, and it's one of the first things he did. He intended to get his degree and make something of himself. His brother Ed, however, had been pursuing a career as a fashion model, and maybe it was a sign of things to come that Harry showed some interest. Ed had achieved enough success on his own that he had signed to AMCK Agency, and one day in 2010, on a lark, Harry went along with his brother to a meeting. The New York Times quotes agent Patrick Igabon Marshall saying, He had lost his way, and this was the only avenue he probably had. He was black and not the tallest, but he was very charming and able to listen. Harry Uzoka was totally raw and had no experience as a model, but he had a little knowledge from his brother and a mystique that captured the attention of agents and photographers alike. Soon Harry found himself with a modeling contract of his own. He was off and running on what would be a whirlwind ride. Harry found success almost immediately when he appeared on Channel 4's The Model Agency Show and modeled for Nike, Zara, ASOS, Pull and Bear, and Jack Wills. The ink on his modeling contract was barely dry when he walked the runway at London Fashion Week. It was a true rags-to-riches Cinderella story, and it happened quickly. Harry became one of the most in-demand models on the circuit and worked a lot. In one of those many shoots, He worked with another model, Leomi Anderson, who would become his close friend and girlfriend for a time. In her BBC piece, Linda Aidey describes the dynamic between the two. Quote, In their shoots together, they seemed playful, confident, and in love. It was refreshing to see a successful young dark-skinned man celebrating a young dark-skinned woman. End quote. In 2014, Harry signed with London's premier model management agency, an elite talent agency that launched the careers of top models like Naomi Campbell and Claudia Schiffer, and his star only continued to rise. He was named one of England's hottest models in paper magazine. He modeled not only in magazines, but his face was on buses and billboards for Uniqlo, Everland, and Levi's. London, New York, Los Angeles. It didn't matter where you were. You probably saw Harry's face somewhere. He was one of the first black British men to have a successful international career as a male model, working in Paris, Milan, Los Angeles, and New York. But hey, don't get the wrong idea. I may have misled you a little bit when we talked about that globetrotting lifestyle. The truth is, being a model is hard work, and Harry was deep in it. 
as described by the New York Times, quote, Even with the agency's support, Yuzoka had to adjust to the demands of the industry. Modeling was rarely glamorous. It consisted mostly of long periods of boredom and anxiety, interrupted by intense bursts of performance. At casting calls, he would wait in the reception area for as long as an hour, distracting himself by talking with the other models about their outings the previous night. When he was finally taken in to meet the casting director, everything about him was subjected to scrutiny. His physical features, how he moved, his portfolio. End quote. Being a successful model meant having a thick skin and not giving up. Harry was up to the task. Quote, he experienced rejection after rejection. It is not uncommon for models to go to as many as 15 casting calls a day and not book one. Even if he was picked for a show, it meant more waiting. Hours backstage doing hair and makeup and fittings, all to prepare for a walk that lasted five minutes and paid new faces only a few hundred pounds, a rate significantly less than what female models received. Being a male model is so difficult, Madeline Osteel, a casting director who worked with Yuzoka earlier in his career, said. Owing to the constant demand for fresh faces, she said, the lifespan of a male model is about two years, end quote. Despite all the challenges, Harry Yuzoka was persistent, kept his head up and kept moving until he found payoff. Harry's success in the industry had an impact, too. He got booked for jobs that black models had struggled to get in the past, thereby opening the door a little wider for those who came after him. Kevin Morosky, a photographer and filmmaker, said that he became the go-to guy. Quote, he had a massive impact on the way the fashion industry cast dark-skinned boys, he said. Morosky wasn't alone. Everyone recognized that Harry was breaking new ground. Titia Blake, a casting director from London, said, Harry provided a platform for black male models to come through in a way they hadn't previously in London. As Harry reaped the financial rewards of his success, he was generous to friends and family in thoughtful ways. His friend Jeremy Thompson recalled, quote, He'd always say if he's earning money or if he's doing well, and all his friends aren't, he's not doing well. I've messaged Harry and said, Bro, do you think you have five pounds you can send me just so I can get a meal? And he'd be like, What? and come off the phone and send me like 300 pounds, and he'd do that without expecting it back, end quote. Harry Uzoka was responsible, though. He wasn't one to squander his money on lavish things or vacations, but he did take a dream trip to his family's home country of Nigeria to learn about his heritage and build his mother a home. It was in part his status as a role model for young black men that compelled Harry to start a collective of black models called Just a Norm for mutual support. Many young black models felt they were only getting certain kinds of jobs, not real high fashion gigs. Fellow model Jeremy Botang said, It was all made up of black boys, black models. In the industry, we were all sort of blocked. Just a Norm was a hint of Harry's interest in activism, in helping. Harry Yuzoka loved to lead, to teach. He reportedly loved empowering young black men, just as he had been empowered by those before him. At one point, Harry explored the idea of writing a film and launching a magazine that would celebrate black excellence. The notion of self-improvement was something he wanted to share. He was enthusiastic. He radiated infectious positive energy and was fun, eager to learn, and easy to be around. And in everything he did, Harry Uzoka made friends. The same friendly, affable nature that made agents so willing to take a chance on a young, untested model won Harry allies everywhere. Unfortunately, it's also true that popular charismatic personalities who interact with thousands of people in real life and online are more prone to run into unsavory characters. 
people who can be driven by sinister, envious, or resentful motives. If you've been paying attention as I paint the picture of Harry Uzoka, you can probably guess what he was doing in 2015. Harry Uzoka was giving back. He was teaching. He was leading. Harry was helping a designer teach some young models how to walk the runway, and one of those models was a young man named George Coe. Coe was a young black model, and some even thought he looked a little bit like Harry. According to those who knew them, and later testimony, there was a kinship between Harry and George as fellow black models, but they were not friends. And that is perhaps where the trouble begins between Harry and George. Because although Harry Uzoka was jovial and positive and happy to let things roll off his back, George Coe seemed obsessed with showing his social and professional status as being on the same playing field as Harry Uzoka. The truth is, he simply wasn't. People in Harry's circle began to notice what some considered shady behavior. Some said George Coe had begun to embrace his perceived similarity to Harry Uzoka and mimic his playful style in front of the camera. Animosity was building between Harry and George. If we ask the question, what is a stalker? A few things come immediately to mind. A guy in a trench coat lurking in the shadows. An ex-love interest unwilling to accept that the relationship is over. A celebrity murderer like Robert Bardo, the murderer of actress Rebecca Schaefer. The guy in the trench coat lurking near a steaming sewer grate in some dark alley has really only been a threat in the movies. And stalking an ex-love does not apply in this case. The murder of Rebecca Schaefer at the hands of Robert Bardo would seem to be the situation most analogous to Harry Uzoka and George Coe. But even that happened in the 80s, long before the connected age. I covered this case of celebrity stalking way back in Season 1, Episode 14, Fatal Fans, Rebecca Schaefer. However, none of these scenarios seem to fit this story exactly. Harry and George had known each other and worked together, and yet you can't help but feel there is some similarity to a stalking case. Friends and acquaintances of George Coe would say the man obsessively followed and unfollowed them on social media. Some have suggested that's because George Coe believed having social media friends in common with Harry raised his social status, so he would follow and unfollow George's contacts, hoping for a follow-back. Quote, There's an entitlement that people think they have access to you, one stylist said. Maybe he could feel like he knew Harry better than he did. This raises the question, how do you define a stalker in the age of social media? One definition of a stalker reads, a person who hunts games stealthily. The primary definition of stalker, however, strikes closer to the target. A person who harasses or persecutes someone with unwanted and obsessive attention. By January 2018, Harry Uzoka was in a relationship with model Ruby Campbell, and it was there that, in the opinion of many, George Coe crossed the line from ungrateful colleague to stalker. Harry started to hear from friends that George Coe was claiming to have slept with Ruby Campbell, and some of Harry's friends had confronted Coe about it. A model from Paris, Anacheta Lafon, who had been in the circle of social media friends that included Harry Uzoka and George Coe, accepted an invitation to hang out with George Coe, whom she had never met. According to the Times, things immediately got uncomfortable. After she arrived at his flat, Coe repeatedly asked her if she knew Yuzoka and claimed he slept with Yuzoka's girlfriend, the model Ruby Campbell. 
Lafon grew uncomfortable with Ko's childish posturing, end quote. Lafon then spent a week with Harry Uzoka and told him about the allegations Ko had made. Tensions were rising. We can only assume there was some conversation in Harry's circle about George Ko, because text messages began flying back and forth. On January 9, 2018, George Ko texted Harry, Yo, gee, why is your boy messaging me? What is he on about, and what girl? Harry later texted back, Leave my name out of your mouth, it's that simple. I've never spoken bad of you in any way, so this is wild. We know Harry took the allegation of an affair with Ruby Campbell seriously because he spoke to her about it. She swore she had never met George Coe and later stated as much on her social media accounts. I have never met George, and Harry was never friends with him, she said on Instagram. Harry's roommate said Harry and George Coe actually had a phone conversation on Wednesday, January 10th. According to the New York Times, Yuzoka and Coe argued on a phone call broadcast on speaker for Yuzoka's friends to hear. Coe called Lafon a liar and denied saying anything about Campbell. When Yuzoka asked how Coe even knew whom he was dating, Coe said he had figured it out on Instagram, more or less admitting that he was stalking Yuzoka on social media. George, just leave it, Yuzoka said as the call ended. Why make this trouble? George Coe, someone he had tried to help, had become an irritant to Harry, real-life drama that he didn't need. It's in that context that we see a textbook example of why celebrities and athletes and public figures are so careful about who they allow to be part of their life and who they interact with, especially in the social media age. One careless word might give the wrong person an opening. Unfortunately, Harry fell victim to his own giving heart. The young man he hoped to help had an unknown personality defect, something that turned George Coe into an instigator, a man who, perhaps driven by his own insecurities, knew how to inflame emotions with an insult and some recklessly chosen words. Harry Uzoka's downfall was allowing his anger to take charge. We've all done it. Allowed someone to get under our skin until we have an outburst or make an ugly scene, usually followed by an extended period of self-doubt. Why did I allow myself to get so upset? It happens, but when it happened to Harry, it had fatal consequences. On January 11, 2018, George Coe texted Harry, Where are you? I'll come there and we can fight. Bring your friends with you. Minutes later, Harry replied, Come to Shepherd's Bush. George Coe asked for the address. Where in Bush? Postcode. Harry texted back 15 minutes later. Listen, come to Bush Station. That is the last thing I'm saying to you. You're a lost soul. And he tagged it with an emoji crying laugh. It wasn't an empty threat to fight. George Coe was waiting for Harry's response and made arrangements to bring friends to the confrontation. Two minutes later, he texted Harry. I'm coming. Nothing after that for about 35 minutes. And then this text. Be two minutes. You there? Another half hour passed before George texted Harry again. I'm here. I wish I could say that there was a colorful picture to be painted about the events that happened next. But it's perhaps symbolic of how senseless this crime is, that there's no real picture to be painted. It was all over in about two minutes. 
George Coe with friends Mercer DeConda and Jonathan Okibo showed up for a fight armed. Writing for the New York Times, Alexis Okibo described what happened next. Quote, Within minutes, Coe showed up near Yuzoka's flat, holding a knife in each hand. DeConda carried a machete. Yuzoka and his roommate, Adrian Harper, took apart a set of dumbbells in their living room. Armed with the metal bars, they went into the street. Across a parking lot, they saw Ko and his friends walking away. Yo, George, Yuzoka called out. The men turned around, and the groups approached each other, end quote. It quickly becomes clear the confrontation was a mistake. Harry and Adrian were outnumbered, and they'd brought metal bars to a knife fight. Adrian Harper fled with Jonathan Okibo in pursuit. Harry was not so lucky, quote. Ko and Deconda cornered Yuzoka between two cars, his back against a fence. A neighbor who passed them at that moment later testified that Yuzoka, quote, was standing like he might have been a little scared, end quote. He swung the metal bar he had brought with him, but Ko stabbed Yuzoka three times, piercing his heart. Yuzoka somehow managed to sprint back to his flat, bleeding the entire way. When Harry arrived at his flat, Adrian Harper rushed to meet him. There was blood everywhere. I've been stabbed, Harry said. Where? Harper asked, but Harry did not answer. He staggered forward then fell to the pavement just outside his flat. Linda Aidy from the BBC described the scene. Harry lay on the pavement, his body punctured with knife wounds. One was to the heart, and the paramedics and doctors couldn't save him. At 5 p.m. on the cold concrete outside his home in Shepherd's Bush in West London, he was declared dead. It was all over in two minutes. A stupid fight. A fight about ego and status and unchecked bravado had escalated into a senseless death. Leonardo Taiwo, a model and acquaintance of George Coe, blamed both men for their failure to back down. Quote, It was about male pride. It's ego. When you feel disrespected, peer pressure can make it harder to let it go. In the hours after the confrontation, George Coe did not initially know that Harry had died just that he had been in a fight and stabbed a man. He confessed to a friend that he had stabbed someone, but was shocked when he found out that Harry was dead. He didn't know what to do. George Coe was a wanted man for about three days. Then he turned himself in. He and his accomplices were charged in the death of Harry Uzoka. Months later, at trial, Coe was absolutely contrite on the stand. He sobbed and claimed he hadn't meant to kill Harry. He said his text messages about a fight were misunderstood. To be honest, I didn't mean the word fight, he told the court. It was just bravado. What I meant, what I was trying to do, was just find a situation where I could meet Harry and just speak to him, like face-to-face. He claimed self-defense at trial, an argument that had some merit considering Harry and Adrian had left their flat to engage their attackers. On September 21, 2018, Coe's excuses amounted to nothing. He was convicted of murder and sentenced to life in prison. Deconda, who wielded the machete, was also convicted of murder. Okibo, who chased Adrian Harper back to the flat he shared with Harry, was found guilty of manslaughter. George Coe would later say in an interview, I kind of thought, okay, let me just show Harry that I'm a big man, and that's how it escalated. It's my fault. I had the knife that day, and if I didn't have a knife that day, he'd be alive.
The murder of Harry Uzoka and conviction of George Coe brings to mind so many questions about the fashion industry and living life in the fast lane in front of the camera on six continents. How do you protect young people coming up in this industry? Who is there to mentor them and guide them when the lifestyle becomes too seductive and the camera lens hypnotic? You wonder how much the nature of the business lured a person like George Coe with its promise of attention and respect that he so desperately craved, a feeling that he was somebody. Those questions, however, are best left for another day, for people smarter than me to contemplate. I'd rather remember Harry Uzoka and pay homage to the profound change he brought to the industry at a time when it needed it. His friend, Jeremy Botang, said, He changed a lot of those really young mindsets that I feel a lot of black people have, where it's like you can't show love to your bro. Nigerian-British writer and stylist Ayeshet Akanbi similarly said, I think Harry reminded young men in particular that it's okay to be delicate. Society asked a troubled young man in prison to change. Harry became a successful, sensitive adult with a positive outlook and a willingness to give back. What more can we ask of our young people? Really. Harry Uzoka gave us an inspirational tale of reinvention, and it's what makes his untimely death doubly tragic. At George Coe's sentencing, Harry's mother said, I have so much pain for the death of my Harry, and I find it difficult these days to go on without him. Harry Uzoka might not have had the name recognition of departed stars like David Bowie or Kurt Cobain, but he was no less impactful to his chosen field. And with his enthusiastic outlook, who knows what his future might have held. Harry's life had been cut short, and his potential never realized, a fact understood most by his mother. Quote, his departure has left a gaping hole, a gap, a void in the family that we are all finding hard to contend with. He was due to start acting in a couple of upcoming movies, but that chance has been taken away from him. My son was a beautiful boy. I would give anything to change places with Harry, to take away the horror and pain that he suffered that day. End quote. The BBC spotlighted an answer Harry once gave to an interviewer when asked how he wanted to be remembered. Harry's answer best sums up who he was and how we should remember him. More than anything, just honest, he said. An honest being of love and light. That will do it for this episode of Once Upon a Crime. And that will end the series Picture Perfect Murder. I won't be releasing an episode next Monday due to the 4th of July holiday here in the States. But starting on the 11th, I'll begin a whole new series for the month of July. Join us then for the series Final Curtain Call, where I'll share true crime stories involving people connected with the film and theater industry. Once Upon a Crime is produced by me, Esther Ludlow. Research and final audio editing for this episode was provided by Lorena Garcia. It was written by Troy Larson, who also provided additional research. Until next time, be good to one another. <laughs>